Hello, I'm Neil Aitchison and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. You join me at the 6th Annual Warwick Symposium on Paris Research, which, as its name suggests, uh, studies what has been one of the main structures of social and community life in England and indeed throughout Europe since about the 13th century. The theme of this year's gathering is Parish Pieties, and I'll speak to uh, three of the speakers from the symposium in a minute to get an idea of some of the elements of that subject. But first, I'm joined by Beat Kumin from the Department of History at Warwick, who's organised the symposium. Beat, first of all, perhaps you can give us a bit of an idea of the, the purpose of the, the symposium and indeed the, the purpose of the, the Parish Network Research Group. Yeah, we have uh, decided to... Uh, establish a parish network to facilitate contacts and interaction between all sorts of scholars who work on parish-related themes. We have a virtual base on our homepage here at the University of Warwick website where people can feature their projects, where they can talk about parish research, where they find resources, etc. But the highlight of our calendar is really the parish symposium, which takes place today. And we've run this since uh, 2003 on an annual basis. We usually have a theme so that uh, the papers sort of fit together uh, particularly well. This year it's parish piety. So we're talking about the variety of cults and worship forms that parishioners adopted in the late medieval and early modern period. But apart from the theme, really, the main point of the symposium is to bring together specialists from different disciplines, mainly historians, but also theologians, musicologists, art historians, and basically have an opportunity to meet, talk about recent work, um, hear about postgraduates who are starting work in the field, and generally have an opportunity for networking as well as talking about the parish more specifically. Uh, and just give us a bit of an insight into the, the importance then of the, the parish. I suppose we're talking about at its, at its height from the sort of 13th to sort of 18th uh, century. What, what, how influential was the parish, particularly in sort of in English society? Well, I think uh, we all have different reasons why we're interested in the parish. I mean, many people are local historians, so they have an interest in their particular roots or in their particular community in which they live. But more generally, I think the parish, uh, for me in particular, is a sort of unique access point uh, for the population at large in pre-modern society because everybody was required to worship in the parish, everybody was required to have the sacraments taken in the parish, everybody was literally a member of that community whether they wanted to or not. So we get access to not just one group of people, but we get potentially access to the population as a whole. And furthermore, we have a comparative potential because par parishes existed throughout Christendom. So you find them in the top of Scandinavia as well as in Sicily or in the Iberian Peninsula. So you have uh, a chance to work comparatively. You have a chance to access the population at large. And particularly in the early modern period, you also have a chance to not just study religious life, but also secular and political life because many of the parishes took over local government duties, particularly here in England, where poor relief and um, highway maintenance became obligations of the parish. Uh, and does uh, influence still linger on? We still have, obviously, parish councils here in England. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, it has a large continuity from the sort of 12th, 13th century right through to the present day. But the sort of Victorian age, particularly in England, is a sort of transformation period. Um, 
People were now no longer required to be members of a parish. Obviously, there are other religious communities you can join. So it's lost a little bit of its central focus uh, that it had in the late medieval and early modern period. But people are still going to parishes. We still have all the architectural heritage, the material evidence around us today. So that helps us also to, I suppose, focus our thoughts and occasionally do work which has to do with um, architecture, art, uh, as well as written records that we mainly as historians work with. Uh, and is that one of the sort of central historical themes then, secularisation, the sort of move of the, the parish from being the, the sort of fiefdom of the, the priest to uh, how it's characterised now as uh, something involving councillors and uh, parish council work? I think you will talk to different historians and they will give you, give you different answers about this. But I think broadly speaking, it's right that the sort of original reason for being uh, in a parish is religious. You, know, you try to save your soul, you try to go through the religious rituals that re were required to achieve salvation. But in the longer run, people started accumulating funds, they started to be active in fields outside of religion, and sometimes they were charged by governments to carry out certain responsibilities in poor relief or in charitable aspect. So in that sense, you can say, yes, they broadened out, they became more um, widely uh, interested and uh, a degree of secularization, I think we can certainly detect when we look through the early modern period. And why have you sort of chosen this theme today then, parish pieties, and what's the aim there? I think piety is something very personal, but at the same time it also has massive consequences in terms of uh, institutions, in terms of organising religion, in terms of getting activities off the ground. So we can look into people's souls to an extent, if you wish, if we look at piety, but on the other hand we also see what this piety created. I mean, you're talking more about the religious practice. I think it's more on the religious practice uh, this time round. Yeah, we've had other sessions where we talked about parish records or the parish clergy. This time I think we're talking about worship, about cults, about ways in which people express their religion. Okay, I just to turn to get better an idea of some of those subjects that's going to be uh, discussed at the symposium today then. Uh, and uh, Andrew Spicer is uh, Professor of uh, Early Modern European History at uh, Oxford Brookes uh, University. Andrew, you can describe some of your work and how it sort of relates to uh, this theme of parish pieties. Um, I'm interested in the parish church as a building and in particular I suppose what's at the bottom of my research I always think is an understanding as to how the theology and ideas of religious reformers actually gets implemented at a local level. What do people actually see every Sunday when they go to church? So that's led me to think in particular about the layout of church buildings and their structure and the way in which they are used by people after the Reformation and comparing how different countries respond in different ways, partly as a result of the different sort of political and religious settlements that uh, evolve after the Reformation. Uh, and you're sort of particularly looking at the paper you're presenting today about uh, the parish in, in Orléans in, in France. Yes, I mean, one of the other things that I'm sort of developing beyond that is to think about how Catholic parish churches uh, relate to... Uh, the events that get thrown at them by conflicts such as the French Wars of Religion and thinking about how communities restructure and re-establish themselves after destruction of images and uh, relics and things within their community that they've venerated for centuries previously. And you're sort of particularly looking at uh, the 
devotional practice of, of parishioners in a particular Orléans church, is that right? Yes, I'm concentrating on one of the churches, the Church of Saint-Paul, and looking at uh, the cult of Notre-Dame-de-Miracle, which is based there, which the cult dates back to the 9th century and uh, then is developed uh, through the medieval period but comes to an abrupt crisis in 1562 when uh, some Huguenots decide they want to cook some uh, leg of mutton and can't find any firewood and they use the statue to uh, provide the fire. Um, but the community uh, manages to recover from this loss of their statue and the statue is replaced, this miraculous statue is somehow replaced with a stone version and that then becomes a focal point for veneration really through to the uh, early 20th century. Uh, and this sort of throws a, a bit of light, a bit of insight into the uh, sort of saintly worship of parishioners from that, that time onwards. Is that, is that what you, you're looking at? Looking at also, this, yes, the extent to which they're focusing on the saints, um, in particular in that parish. But it's a devotion that draws support from across the city of Orléans, um, although it's based within that one particular parish. Whereas actually, uh, in terms of religious confraternities that members of the parish join, that we can see developing in a more Christocentric uh, direction as an affirmation in many ways of the Catholic faith after the destruction of the religious wars. Uh, and so this is a movement of uh, religious uh, worship from a sort of saintly devotion to a more uh, focusing on the, the figure of Christ. I think you've got both going on. I mean, in particular, they f focus on the, the Eucharist and the, the, the um, Holy Sacrament uh, of the Mass. And so that is developing within the parish. But at the same time, this cult of Notre Dame de Miracle is still there and still getting support, donations, and uh, supposedly, well, not supposedly, apparently being the site of miracles and people being healed. So you've got two strands... Uh, in in this parish, you've got the medieval tradition continuing and being revitalised uh, in the late 16th century. But at the same time, in terms of the devotion within the parish confraternities, you can see a more Christocentric development uh, and focus on the mass, which is perhaps uh, what might, one might expect, and certainly there are parallels elsewhere in France. So what insight into parish life do you think this uh, reveals, your sort of work in this area? It reveals that people are still prepared to endow uh, their parish churches uh, with objects and to spend money on their parish churches, even though they are aware that uh, political crises, religious crises, can actually lead to their destruction, that this does not actually um, affect their religious commitment. They are still prepared to invest uh, heavily in church buildings and donations to the parish. Uh, that faith, in a sense, uh, it survives the religious crisis. Okay. Um, Gary Gibbs is a professor at uh, Roanoke College in uh, West Virginia in the United States. Um, you're particularly looking at uh, the sort of devotional aspect uh, of uh, life in, uh, in a parish in London in the, the sort of early 15th century. Perhaps you can sort of explain your sort of work there and how it relates to the theme here today. Okay. First, though, I, for the sake of my dean, I need to say uh, Roanoke College is in Western Virginia. Uh, but um, uh, well, I, I came across um, three inventories for a church in London, 
uh, one from 1466, one from 1542, and one from 1550. And while these are not secret, people have seen them before, um, it uh, sort of dawned on me that I could uh, look at these inventories and just through simple compare and contrast uh, begin to sort of uh, find some insight into uh, this uh, parish and its um, functioning bef you know, before, during, and after the uh, reign of, of Henry VIII and into his son's reign. And part of what I was becoming interested in, because I've been working since my dissertation, and that was some 20 years ago, uh, I've been really concerned with what exactly can we learn from parish documents. I've, I've been on a sort of roller coaster ride of doubt and certainty as to what these documents can tell us. And my frustration at ever really getting to what I consider a depth of, of what one could call a sort of um, spirituality coming out of the pews. And um, fortunately with the paper today, I actually thought I came across um, an issue, uh, which is a, a line in one of the inventories about um, what uh, the church wardens called coats, or some kind of veil that they were putting on a statue of the Virgin. Uh, which I thought might actually allow me to say something about um, uh, a spiritual depth coming not from uh, the people on uh, the uh, pulpit side, but uh, from uh, the other side of the church. And, uh, and this is what I've tried to do. Uh, so uh, I am trying to sort of say something about uh, uh, some deeper level of spiritual devotion coming out of this parish. And what does that indicate then? What that uh, that the parishioners are, are trying to do in uh, in this particular parish? Well, I may I may not necessarily have exact answers. I have whole sorts of interesting questions, and I raise possibilities. Uh, there are lots of people in this parish, and when lots of people experience a ritual, they experience it in lots of ways. Uh, gender forms an issue. Power forms an issue. Um, age forms an issue. Uh, so there's, um, uh, there are ways in which one would sort of um, maybe understand what it means to put a veil on the statue. Uh, but um, I think in the end for the parish, it um, perhaps adds specificity to certain days. Uh, they take what is perhaps a Gothic uh, representation of the Virgin on an altar, uh, put a veil on her, and they perhaps change um, uh, you know, the representation of the Madonna for that specific feast. And I think th that's what it might mean. And, and the evidence that you, you found, that this, the evidence of, of four coats being used, so there seems to be some sort of schedule of, uh, of using this. Well, no, there's no schedule given, but since we have colors of the coats given and the number four, both of these pr pr provide clues that... Um, I sort of take and then make far too much of. And like I said, I'm skating on thin ice because I don't have solid statements. Uh, this is the part of the problem. Uh, these people never leave us uh, the kind of declarative statements we wish they would have mm. as to what these things mean. Uh, but part of the reason why I like this, I like doing this paper very much is what they did was they left me instead a puzzle. And what I try to do with it is, is is really create the most interdisciplinary paper I've ever 
done. I use art history. I talk to people who are experts in history of fabric, history of color, theology. Uh, I, I even went into world history. So many religions all over the world practice um, this very issue of taking a statue and somehow clothing it. Um, and uh, and I tried to use all of these different kinds of contexts, anything that I thought could somehow enlighten the practice. I would sort of make use of and then come back and offer what I see as a series of hypotheses that might give me some indication as to what this meant to these people. But it's an indication of a, a more sort of rit rit ritualistic form of worship rather than sort of concentrating on scripture or, uh, or something of that sort. Well, perhaps. We don't know what was being said during the ritual. Um, but uh, I have evidence of ritual objects, so the ritual objects are going to be defining, I suppose, what is going on during the ritual, but the ritual objects imply a whole theology, and the theology would probably be placed on, on scripture. Okay. The two go hand in hand. Johnny May also is uh, Dr. Penny Roberts from the History Department uh, here at Warwick. Uh, and your sort of particular interest in parish history then is looking at the, the religious conflict in, in parish history. Perhaps you can explain a little bit ab about that to us. Yes, I work on um, the 16th century French urban parish primarily and um, I'm particularly interested in looking at it from the angle of religious conflict during the Reformation when um, the Reformation takes place um, and Protestantism begins to emerge in French towns and people who were previously involved in devotions in the parish who then choose to distance themselves from the parish, almost exclude themselves from the parish by um, adopting a different faith and the sort of conflicts that that leads to in the streets of French communities. And um, also I'm interested in looking at how another sort of trend, I suppose, in the early modern period that we look at is the emergence of the state uh, in people's lives, uh, much more interventionist in a sense, and the extent to which the state, the crown in the French context and in many other contexts, steps in to try and resolve the conflicts within these communities because of the damage and disorder they see it as doing to their authority within the uh, nation, within the kingdom, and then attempts to actually pacify those conflicts to bring about a degree of coexistence. We were talking before about issues of inclusion and exclusion which come into that, and also uh, the degree to which, in a sense, in the early modern period, states are not yet ready, people are not yet ready for a position of pluralism, and the kinds of tensions that generates within communities um, even w when the uh, higher authorities, if you like, are trying to actually introduce a degree of coexistence, the kinds of conflicts which arise from that. And what sort of insight to parish life does that give us, that sort of study of that religious conflict then? Well, again, I think um, it brings in, obviously, issues of religious devotion, but also social inclusion that uh, some of the other speakers have already mentioned, but also the political element, if you like, as I see it, uh, within parish relations and people's belonging to the community and how they identify themselves. In a sense, the Protestants still see themselves as part of the community but in, within France, but the Catholics see them increasingly as to be excluded from the community and primarily the parish, which is, as we've already talked about, the sort of focus of people's association. Um, and so there are attempts not just to uh, exclude people sort of socially but also geographically and insisting for instance that reformed communities protestant communities worship at some distance from the parishes to which they um, belong by um, 
the fact that they live within them, if you like, within the towns, for instance, and that's the sort of urban element which I'm looking at. Okay, thanks for that. Bill Shields is a reader in history at uh, the University of York. Um, Bill, perhaps you could talk us through um, how your sort of work in this uh, area particularly relates to this theme of, of piety and parishes. Okay, well, I mean, I suppose I've always worked in what, I, what one might call a social context in which religious practice takes place. And it started actually a long time ago, but historically uh, in a kind of political mode, I suppose. I was quite interested in how religious affiliations spilled over into social groupings and ultimately into political affiliations, or perhaps the relationship was the other way around. But I've increasingly got interested in the religious activity in itself, I guess, and how religious practice is an important part of forging identity for individuals and groups. And the parish, and that's why I think it's so important here, the parish is in fact the venue, if you like, in which what you might call devotion and piety, or personal religion, meets public worship, as it were, formal religion, the religion of the state. And so I think that interface and how people negotiate official religion with their own personal piety and is what these particular parochial devotions throw light upon. So that's really where I, I come from in, in the subject, I guess. Quite a broad picture. Uh, yeah, and what do you hope uh, will be sort of gained from the, the work today then? Well, I mean, generally speaking, I think, first of all, I think a greater understanding, I think, both of the diversity of religious experience um, and the way in which um, particular local and social settings can influence the character of that devotion. So, but that diversity also, I think, and I think it's quite interesting. Also, I think piety reveals, I think, what one, what one, what one might call the kind of continuities and the commonalities of religious culture as well. So diverse practices, also anthropologically, I think, can be drawing on common wellsprings of religious understanding, religious motivations. So I think anthropologically that's a very interesting question to ask about about behavior in general but particularly I think about religious behavior in the early modern period when for the first time people are negotiating a fragmented but not yet genuinely pluralistic religious environment okay so how do you work that out we know it's fragmented but we've not yet come to an understanding of it as pluralistic as we would have as we would in a kind of modern, modern way of understanding what that term means. And we were looking at parishes really sort of at their height in terms of power, uh, piety that, uh, and uh, how they sort of changed and developed and uh, became less influential is the sort of secularisation, the sort of loss of this uh, uh, aspect of piety being central to parishes. Um, well, it's partly that. It's partly um, secularisation is one thing, I think. I think plural, pluralism is another because, of course, no longer, if you like, from towards the end of our period or midway through the period we've been talking about, um, say, mid-17th century, certainly in, in the English case, um, or later 17th century, perhaps a bit later in some other countries, but no longer does the parish have any claim to a kind of control or a dominant, and actually religion is becoming increasingly a voluntary, as it were, association. And once that happens, the actual exercise of parochial um, piety 
in a sense, becomes less, as it were, the key into people's religious behaviour. It seems to me then voluntary associations, voluntary religious associations develop their own particular modes of expression. And these, of course, in a pluralistic society, are, are, are as valid as the parish. So the parish becomes challenged not simply in the sense of a secularisation model, but in the context of a pluralisation if you like, or a diversification model of religious behaviours. So I think then that, for me, is the more interesting of the two. Certainly in our period, I think secularisation per se, I would argue, anyway, comes along rather later. But that's a big question which other people would disagree about, probably one or two in this room as well. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I'm interested in the, the way in which pluralism, if you like, religious pluralism, mm. challenges parochial piety and the claims of the parish to be the the place, as I said when you first asked the question, where private devotion meets public worship mm. because the sense of public worship or official worship is declining, as it were, as, as a dominant mode of okay. expression. Okay. okay, well, thanks very much for that. Uh, and just finally, let's turn very quickly to, uh, uh, to get the, the view of, sort of a symposium goer, uh, a postgraduate here at, uh, at Warwick, uh, Brodie Waddell. What does this sort of spur you on to do, perhaps? Um, well, my research isn't directly related to sort of traditional religious history, which um, a lot of um, the papers today are going to be dealing with. Um, but I am very interested in the parish and parish pieties, which is, of course, the theme of the symposium, um, because I'm interested in ideas about community and about uh, inclusion and exclusion and things like this and how they relate uh, to social relations in the early modern period. And I think the parish provides a very useful window into... Um, this uh, this sort of process where people are being either included or excluded from a particular community, um, in this case, the parish. And I'm interested to hear um, what the papers and what sort of the discussion um, will uh, will tell me about these processes. So how useful do you think it was going to be in, in your work? I think it could be very useful. I mean, uh, I'll wait and uh, hear the papers before coming to final conclusions. But yeah, I think uh, the idea of parish piety um, can be a very useful way uh, of looking at the issues that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm.